Welcome to Seattle House Mafia's Industry Interviews. I'm Phil, your host, and in each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with DJs, producers, promoters, and other industry professionals who are passionate about leaving their mark on the dance music scene. But we don't just talk about their careers. We dive deep into their personal lives, what inspires them, where they face challenges, how they balance their personal and professional obligations, and what their aspirations are for the future. Lastly, we end every episode with an exclusive DJ mix so you can experience firsthand our guest's signature sound and style. So join us on this unique journey as we explore the dance music scene and the amazing people who make it happen. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Seattle House Mafia. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Interviews in the Seattle House Mafia studio. Our guest today, from 97 to 2008, produced music as D Jacob London with Britt Hansen and had a string of vinyl releases and remixes on Derek Carter's classic label, um, Viva Recordings, Ohm Records, and many other notable labels when I looked them up. And I think I actually have quite a few actually on my shelf, <laughs> funny enough. And then in 2008, he transitioned and his first solo record was picked up by Free Range, which then kicked off 10 plus years of touring the world, DJing and making music. His Beatport inventory has nearly 600 tracks to date, including remixes and originals and then tracks that have been remixed of his. So we want to welcome Dave Pesner. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. AKA Pesner, right? AKA Pesner. Pesner. My last name. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's very much. Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Yeah, uh, uh, Jamie O'Dell, Jimster, right. was when I first released my first record um, as Pez Pesner. Um, before that, I didn't really have a name, and he's like, "So, what's your artist name?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't know." And I'm like, you know, spending a couple days like trying out different ideas, and then he hits me up. He's like, "How about Pesner?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do that." It's good. Let's though. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Can I tell you why I think okay. it's why I enjoy it? Yeah. Pesner, because mm -hmm. I grew up in the era of Pez. Right. This is just coming right. to me now. And like the cherry Pez and the standby. Do you ever see Stand By Me where the kids are talking about if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life? And the one little chubby kid, <laughs> Vern, says, Cherry Pez, you know? <laughs> So anyway, I always, I always associated Pesner with Pez, which always gave me a good feeling and made me smile inside. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad that does that for you. <laughs> but I think it's good. Yeah, no, it was a nickname when I was a kid, Pez. Was it really? Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. good. And, and I mean, just in general, when you sent me, because a lot of times I ask people to send me some kind of data points for, for the intro and things like that. I started looking through your, through your list of accomplishments. I mean, first of all, you've been producing music longer i always feel like an old guy because i've been djing since 97 in some capacity mm -hmm. or another and you've been producing music longer than that right R right yeah yeah i mean i started djing in 97 too okay. um you know brit brit and i we're 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 like junior high friends uh, you know? okay and um we were like just trying to make rave music in in high school like in our 11th grade year 12th grade year and um yeah so like when we graduated we moved on to like trying to make records and and all this stuff and then around 97 is when um we had someone uh, a friend of ours like kind of give us the lowdown it's like well you know if you really want to make like kind of get get by in this you need you need to be djing and we're like okay 
And so that's when we started. Really? So yeah. unlike a lot of the guests that have come in here who kind of started DJing and mm -hmm. transitioned into production, I mean, I guess it's been about 50-50, but the DJing thing was the, the necessary evil to progress sort of in the scene, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and uh, I mean, I learned a ton from learning how, from like becoming a DJ. I mean, our music sounded very different before we started DJing. And um, we, you know, little did we know that we were making, we were trying to make music for DJs, but we didn't understand what DJing was all about or how to do it or any of that stuff. And so um, going through the, the trials of learning how to play vinyl you know, and which is a pain in the ass at first. It, it was for me, not it, for some. Apparently, it took me so long to learn how to beat match. You make me feel. Like, so, I want to give you a hug. Because it took like, me like I don't know four months. Same. of fail every day, and I had I had the tables in my house. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I went through the same thing, and I talked to somebody who's like, "Oh, you know, I picked it up after a few weeks." It's like, huh. no, yeah, Br Brit Brit picked it up right away. Fucking Brit. I know. Well, I, I think I told, <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody. I It was Terry Jacinto we were talking about. And I had to sort of relearn how to listen to music when I started trying to DJ because I saw it as this big sort of thing as it, it's, its own thing. And, and then pulling out the one and the two to be able to beat match, mm -hmm. it kind of took some of the magic away initially. And mm -hmm. then I had to relearn how, and I would imagine production even more so. If that did, did you go through sort of a, Reappreciating music once you started producing, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yes, a bit, yeah. Because I mean, everything that we were producing was sampled, mm -hmm. and we had we had an Ensonic ASR10 uh, that we used to do everything on. It was our workstation for you know for the longest time it was the only piece of gear we had, and um, so we would sample like you know we would find disco songs. I, I, my love for disco kind of came from learning from like exploring eighties music and, and sampling, you know, and, and prior to all of that, I just thought it was like, you know, I mean, we were in the nineties, so I thought it was just like pop music right. or something, you know, like disco and in the eighties, I thought it was kind of cheesy. I didn't love disco when I was younger, but through sampling and through understanding and seeing people dance to it and, you know, exploring all, you know, all this music, that's when I, I start and my ear just got so ch tuned to finding things that were, you know, finding awesome music. Yeah. You know? So I want to go back to that in a second, but I was, I was kind of going back in history thinking about when I first saw Jacob London play. So Jacob London, the origin of Jacob London was you and Brent Hansen, friends since junior high. Mm -hmm. When did you guys actually like come together with your Wonder Trends handshake and say, we're going to make music and, and kill this thing? Uh, this was early on. So like we were in um, in basically uh, 11th grade. Okay. And Locally uh, here in Seattle? Here, uh, Redmond. Okay. We both went to Redmond High. And we, um, you know, my... my uh, I had a job, like an after-school job, right across the street from Britt's house. And so our routine was uh, we would come down to Britt's place after school. And, um, you know, Britt Brit had a Roland Alpha Juno 1 keyboard. Okay. And it was like a synthesizer. Yep. And um, and she had a couple, like, little cork drum machines and, you know, a, a couple different tape recorders. And so... We wanted to be in a band so bad. Like we wanted to be in an industrial band. And, you know, at the same time, 
all the kids, all the cool kids in school were like in grunge bands and right. you know, they were playing out and stuff. They were crushing it and like This is early nineties. Yeah. 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 Like ninety two, you know. Okay. And but we wanted to be different. We wanted to be an industrial band. Brit had the gear for it. And so like we'd go over to Brit's I'd go over to Brit's place and like we would just like, you know, come up with stuff. We'd record it as quickly as we could. And it sounded pretty good, you know. I mean, like we would take we would record the um the drums and, and keyboard onto one tape and then we'd take the recording that was on that tape and then we would like play along with it onto another tape and then we would just go back and forth tape to tape until it sounded like really really bad because we didn't have like a mixer or anything okay we didn't have we didn't understand like (laughs) syncing it up with midi like it was like that was all beyond and so um and then we had like you know radio shack microphone you know the little like you know rattly like the little tiny one just one mic yeah we just had the one mic we just had the one mic and um (laughs) at one point uh, Brit got the R- Radio Shack Reverb, which I don't know if you know about this device. It's really, I mean, at this point, it's probably the best reverb. You know, it sounds yeah. like a, it sounds like a digital spring. Re- it's just like so nasty. It's, <laughs> but we use that, and I, we, I would take these recordings, these tape recordings, over to Taco Time, which is where I worked across the street. Gotcha. And I'd play it for our friends, and like, a, you know, it was all the other kids were in high school and they'd hear this and be like, that's awesome. Oh, so they were supportive. I was getting support. Nice. Yeah. I was like, rad. And I'd come back and tell Brit how, how much everybody loved the music. And, and then we'd do it again every day. We'd just make new, new tunes. We made so many tunes like after school wow. and by our senior year, we were like, you know, going to our guitar center and Brit's mom would like rent us a drum machine you know, for like a week, and I'd, I'd basically spend like all of spring break with Brit, like just you know cracking out on a drum machine and like recording as much as we could. Um, and then for um, our senior year, I think a big gift for Brit was renting um, an EPS sixteen plus, which was a full on sampler workstation, um, and we recorded a whole bunch of stuff and like we didn't leave like the bedroom recording stuff. We're just nonstop. Right. And, um, by the time we graduated, um, we, uh, we borrowed some money from a friend and bought an ASR 10 and that we were just like, we've made a pact, you know, like a legit, like, you know, you know, like the kind you would see in like, I don't know, like a like an old eighties movie or something. Right. We're making a pact to make music forever, and um, yeah, it's been that way ever since. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That is so. So, when did the name Jacob London? Is there is there a story behind Jacob London when you guys started going by that? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so for and I don't for, want to skip a bunch. If no, no, okay. no. I I think I, you know uh, the rest is history, really. So. You know. <laughs> um, when uh we 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 did music as vitus dance for like all before jacob london and actually we were like we were starting to get gigs we were playing at like lish house and we played at, at um the monroe fairgrounds at this wow. big rave on new year's like we were getting gigs and right? this was like a live keyboard live. mic. it was live yeah wow. before we started djing we'd bring the asr 10 out um and like you know we had we'd come up with our sets and everything everything um, but then when we started releasing music, you know, after we started DJing and, yep. you know, around like 96, um, we, uh, we got a, a record deal through, uh, what was it? 
eat eat house or eat it was a eat static eat house it was a remember that that store delicious music yep yeah it, carlos's yep. Carlo, it was his store he had this label and he put out our first record and um we um at the time the label was being funded through um a bigger company called will records it was like a record company that kind of around the corner and um the record deal that they that they issued us was like really invasive like they wanted to own our name they wanted to own everything we're like well we're excited about releasing this record but we're not going to lose vitus dance you know so vitus dance yeah totally we're like no vitus dance is like we've done so much and so we released we brit had the the idea to use the name of this um this music attorney that has been putting his name in the back of the stranger and he had this ads and his name is jacob london and so we were like we're jacob london and so we released that record as Jacob London and, it, and then it did really, really well. And then we were like, well, uh, will records went out of business and we're like, well, now we're Jacob London. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, that the Jacob London attorney who was a music attorney never came after you for uh, no. using his likeness. No, no, no. Actually, I, um, I know the guy now. Um, I was going to say you should buy him a drink. I've, I've worked with him. I've, I've hired him for entertainment law and the, like, <laughs> totally we're we're cool <laughs> that's so it's so meta yeah right, right? <laughs> yeah. his when i re, when i first reached out he was this was this was the free range deal right, right. so when i first got the free range deal you know their record deal was also like kind of big but you know in the in the contract it says you know we recommend that you reach out to an attorney to like look look this over and i was like okay well i know a guy and so I reached out to Jacob London and, and his response was like, well, how can Jacob London say no to Jacob London? And <laughs> Paul might have to cut this out. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I had no idea. Yeah. And I, um, like I've, I've, we've reached out, we have, I've, I've connected them, him with the can can and, Christina's used him for some like copyright law. I mean, he's a copyright lawyer. So you know, he's cool. like very, very knowledgeable lawyer. He's great. Did he get a kick out of the whole like you you stole his name and? I mean, we didn't really talk too much about it, but I'm I'm sure he did. I mean, how could you not, right? No, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> well, it's it's funny. And then I was trying to think of the first time because I think the first time I saw you and Brit DJ, and I was I was I have a pretty good memory because I never was. I never got into like the dark side, right? I, mm -hmm. You know, so I was usually pretty sober when I was out, and it was either, it was either, it was either the contour. No, you know what I? Th okay, so there's three options I came up with. Mm -hmm. It was this. You remember the super weird club that was super weird in my opinion that was across the street from Platinum Records, and they would open, and then they would close again. Oh, ego. And yes ego and then yeah. they'd open again and then mm -hmm. they'd close again that place was like cursed but yeah. it was a cool spot totally yeah right yeah so i think i may have met you there okay at some point i i went in with carlos mendoza funny enough and he brought me in and we like dj'd there one night when nobody was there and you know. yeah 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 i feel like that might have been like our squid records record release party yes yeah um yeah i think so i think been. that's the first time i met you yeah. met you too because i was going back and then i because i remember i actually played with or on the same bill one night at the contour some sketchy after hours at the contour right and then the other one that really got me and i, I wonder if you remember this was 
it was kind of awesome and kind of offensive the whole naked sushi thing that right you, right right <laughs> yes i remember that can you, yeah just for just for the listeners can you tell us a little bit about that night naked sushi because oh, that, that caused quite a is it, and if you don't it was, want it was it was ex, you know it was acceptable in the um you know at the time right <laughs> As, as Calvin Harris would say. Exactly. <laughs> right? It was acceptable at the time. So um, it, it's very not Me Too friendly, you know, like, I totally. mean, like it was, they would, you know, they would lay a woman out um, onto, like a woman would lay down on the, on the table, fully undressed, and they put sushi out and just basically use her as a platter. Right. It sounds horrible when you say it out loud, but it was God. pretty awesome at the at the time. Right? <laughs> I feel so bad about that. I feel bad being involved in any of it. On, to be honest, is so, that right? Yeah, I'm just gonna look at the camera and say, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it was wild. Like they would bring in like great house DJs. Like the music was was great. The yeah, vibe yeah. was cool, it and was the sushi so much, was good. You just yeah. happened to be eating it off a, a naked girl, right? And, and yes, people were generally like really respectful. Totally. You know, um, I I do remember it got moved into like some place in Pioneer Square, and it got kind of sketchy. Yeah. And I I didn't I wasn't down with. I was like this this isn't cool yeah. anymore. Well, and I think they got some bad press in like the local like Seattle PI or whatever, and yeah, it was kind of the yeah. beginning of the the end right, for that one right. but i think that was a little bit later because i was going back I, the I, early I, ones were fun yeah, yeah they were yeah. they were fun and um yeah that was so you dj'd at one of those no oh. my friend danny mashur who i used to do some oh, music yeah, so, you know danny yeah, we, yeah. We, he yeah. dj'd there and that's when i went and and i think you were playing you guys may have been playing the same night or something i, I definitely saw you dj there because mm -hmm. i remember seeing your wife as well I right think. so yeah. anyway just it's a little fuzzy to tell you the truth. I just remember that was a pretty wild concept. Um, yeah. Yeah. But at the yeah, time, not as wild as it would be today. You know, it's really funny. Um, I uh, invited my dad to go out for sushi because <laughs> uh, he went to one of those or maybe right. he just knew about it or something. I think he just knew about it. Right. He was like, that's such a wild concept. Right. And this was obviously a very long time ago. Sure. But he just made this like mental slip when I was inviting him out to sushi. And he was like, so what time is the naked sushi? I was like, what are you talking about? Naked sushi? Like, <laughs> is this, we're just going out for dinner, dude. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, you were here. I mean, you've been doing this for so long. That was 2000. I want to say 2003 three-ish 2002-ish when yeah. i look back on it yeah but, and the, the there was a lot of venues open a lot of clubs happening a lot of after hours going on radios yeah. were going strong like there, it was a pretty wild Pine, pioneer square was very lively at the time you yeah. know it was like there was a lot it was a kind of a bustling yep. you know nightlife happening down there um yeah we live in pioneer square now and it's kind of quiet is it yeah i was wondering about that yeah that's I always thought it would be a cool place to live as long as you can kind of get away from the street level. Cause I do, I do like the, the vibe has changed. It kind of. Yeah. Know. Yeah. We live on the second floor of the street level. Okay. Um, in, in a art loft building. Um, I love it. Yeah. And it's nice. I mean, we've been there for a really long time and do you have a studio? I'm assuming you have a, 
studio set up in that building or do you have a studio elsewhere I do, I do have a studio in in our place it's like kind of our place is really big so like the kitchen area is big enough to have a studio in it okay um and my wife does interior design and her business really kind of picked up at a, at a particular time and she ended up having to like you know buy a bunch of office um desks and set up our living room to be an office it's a really big apartment right yeah um so now my my studio is in the kitchen of our of our apartment but i do have um a studio in pike place market okay um because i uh it's like it's not my studio but it's where i work uh for the can can and a lot of the stuff that um of my own stuff is set up inside that studio and I, i've set it up for them and i call it mine because i'm there every day yeah you should yeah. call it yours yeah it's so my it's my studio uh, i'm going to tell you one other funny <laughs> more recent memory i had of you um and your wife's probably gonna gonna kill me for this somehow it was i was on facebook and there was a video of your wife trying to get on a zoom call but you know during COVID, like the the echoing with the zoom calls and the <laughs> And and I just remember her like yelling at you, and you're doing like this whole Rasta thing. Oh you know, yeah, you know what I'm we talking were, about. Yeah, during the pandemic, we were doing. Um, we were doing like um, our Monday meetings. You know, I, during the pandemic, I you know I couldn't do any music, and so um, but I am pretty admin like savvy, right? right? Like I, I, I've worked in offices for like ages, and and so I I was able to help her run her business system, and we I was on the Monday meeting calls with her, but like my laptop and. Her her laptop are like right next to each other right. and like both speakers are on and like we'd hear the echo and i'd be like rasta man so <laughs> rewind i watched it like three times yeah. honestly yeah <laughs> and she was just like stop it dave yeah yeah it was it was just a little glance into the uh relationship dynamic because uh -huh. <laughs> your wife's lovely right like, yeah she yeah, is she's, she's, she seems very she's cool the best she's the best absolutely absolute best yeah perfect yeah um anyway <laughs> well so so back to you were you went to redmond high school you're not from here originally though right no i moved up uh to seattle from la i mean i was you know um like 12 years old got it yeah and so i was uh we lived in the san fernando valley before that gotcha and i get the and i get the production thing which led to the dj thing but was there also sort of a an origin story as far as understanding dance music or the rave scene or something that kind of tripped you into this world so i mean i didn't i didn't know anything about this uh, like dance music stuff like any like chicago scene or any of that until i came um and and honestly i didn't understand the history of dance music at all nobody told me about any of this until i moved to seattle um, and I was in 11th grade. No, I, I was in Seattle. So I was in Seattle from, um, you know, eighth, eighth grade until pretty much like 10th grade. And then I moved down to Arizona to go live with my mother. And then I came back to Seattle in 11th grade, um, 1991 ish. And I, I met a whole bunch of people who told me about these raves like that the people were going out downtown and busting into warehouses and having like these one night parties and you wouldn't even even know where it was until like the day of right and the whole thing was just like what that's so crazy and a, a friend of mine that i went to school with his uh his uh girlfriend's boy or no his sister's boyfriend um was a dj that played pretty regularly at okay. these things 
And so uh, I got like within a couple months of living here, I got to go out to one of these things. And I was just like, what the hell is this music? Where is it coming from? Like, where's, why doesn't it ever stop? And like, who make, what is this music? It's so crazy. And I, it just had me so hooked. I was like, this is so bonkers. And obviously like, it was so unreachable, right? At the time yeah. there was no internet and there was no radio stations. I had learned that there was the C89, right. um, but um, they, they had like one show at the time yep. that played it for like on Wednesday nights. But like the rest of the, like it was pretty unreachable, unaccessible music that you can only hear if you go to these things. And it's just like the entire concept, like baffled me. Like why would somebody make music that you could only hear if you go to these shows that you can't get to unless you're in the know, right? Like, like how is this whole thing even happening? Right. Um, and you know, later I've like, I feel like I've, uh, I, as I learned, it made a lot more sense, but at the time I was like, what the hell? And I, it was, I was kind of like roped in. Like I was like, this is cooler than at the time I was like really into industrial music and like skinny puppy and nights are and stuff. But this was like on, to me on a completely different level. Like, you know, this music is just, just so hyper repetitive. Yeah. And you listen to it for long enough. It causes like, to me, it would just cause these like psychedelic patterns in my brain, you for know? Sure. And like, you know, it was different from all the other stuff, you know? And was Brit, were you guys going out together and checking these things out or were you- uh, Brit, Brit didn't go out to um, really any of them. Um, it was, I was going out with other friends Got that it. were, that were like kind of involved, but I would bring the stories back to Brit. Okay. And um, I had um, a friend of mine had like this one record. I remember this one record. It was by um, later learned that it's like a Chris and cozy side project called Pro- profits of psyche. And, it was like, you know, that total like Rotterdam banging, yep. you know, I mean, I guess today it would be something like goth gabber music, you know, just banging. <laughs> but I like, it was the coolest thing in the world to me at the time. Brit played it and like, we would just listen to it. Like what the hell is going on in this music? And then of course, you know, we were trying to replicate that when I was working at taco time. That's <laughs> <laughs> <So> cool. <laughs> That's yeah. That's well. I can imagine in that sound coming from you know being into industrial and then mm-hmm. getting, yeah, wow, yeah. I can see how that that fed in. And then you guys made a bit of a shift with just the sound of Jacob London, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. How would you describe that transition, or is it too hard and too long of a journey? To- yeah, I think it's it's just a slow evolution. I mean, Britt and I were. We we are we've always been really like Brit's got like this really amazing sense of humor and like we get a, the both and so do I think I do too and we get us together and like we're just cracking up all the yeah. time and like I think that really kind of showed through our music and we would just come up with these crazy silly ideas and we would sample like movies and you know it just it was like we would we would try to take these ideas from like Chicago house and techno but then fold in you know just silly silliness but then at a a certain point we started like evolving into just like well let's just do something cool and not have to try to fold silly into everything right you know um uh, now nowadays we're you know brit and i still make music together and um 
we're just we're just trying to come up with crazy ideas yeah you know i think um one of my favorite and i i mean i'm not sure if i got the title right was it was it it was either no farting in the snow cave or who farted in the snow cave no it's a no no farting in the ice fort. Oh, in the ice fort yeah that's what it is in the ice Damn fort it. yeah knew, yeah yeah i always love that though. oh yeah all of our uh, so we we just thought it was it would be so funny <laughs> because like you know at the time you know really big djs were really were charting songs right and the songs all had these very serious names and you know at the times oh, sure. it was also very serious like john digweed and you know sasha and like you know all these djs are playing very serious yep, yep. music at their big epic things and you know and we're doing something something different and like you look at these charts and stuff and like we thought it would be so funny if like somebody charted one of these tunes like you'd look at the list and like then there's like no farting in the ice for it or like shake my shake your pancreas you know or like one of the create like the bull cow's gonna smack you in the butt that was one of our songs. I mean, we had like those yeah. just bonkers like song titles, and we thought that was, and it paired up really nicely with how weird the music was too. Yeah, because there was know. kind of a quirkiness about. It was some very of, yeah, very yeah. squeaky, very quirky, yep. but still like had that Chicago house shuffle for sure, and um, you know, which was really working at the time, and like you know, like in nineteen, uh, I think two was it two thousand one. We that's when we signed our first record with classic yep. and like that sound, that weird thing that we were doing, like became known. <laughs> it yeah. was like, we were known for this now, you know, and these weird song names and everything. And we just kind of carried it through like into the, you know, mid two thousands, you yeah. know, we did a whole bunch of releases just running on that. I'm, we're gonna look at my classic collection because I know I, I know I have a couple of yours in there, and I think I might have one off. I'm trying to think off Free Range or something. Yeah, we did too. for classic. We did uh, we did a remix of Justin Martin um, yep. and Sammy Sammy Deep, and then we did um, we had two of our own singles. And I feel oh, we did the the Tim Fuller and uh, the um, the DJ Ollie and Tim Fuller remix for them. Yeah, we were doing a bunch of stuff for them at the time. We got to go to to London and play at the classic party at the end, which was awesome. Like we, we like played before Derek Carter, who's like one of my all time favorite guys <laughs> and, to watch. Right? And, well, Matthew Herbert is DJing in the Jeez. other room. Like, what the hell, man? Yeah. <laughs> when you guys were performing as Jacob London, were you? I, I don't remember, but were you. Do you guys have like sort of a protocol where you're going back to back or one song, two song, or it was like, how do you guys do it? It was like three songs. Okay. And then it was always started by, um, and, and still carries for, through to today. Whenever we play together, um, the first person is the one that wins rock, paper, scissors. I love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how it is. And then you, that person plays the first track. Uh, and yeah. Then and, then, sets, sets yeah and then we the just do threes and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were doing four turn four decks uh, for a little while, but it was just I and mean, it just sounded like kind of cluttery. I don't know. You I feel like busy. it was just too busy. Yeah, yeah. you can get busy. Yeah, it's fun. So I I think it, or you got to be really intentional about getting like minimal. But then you're like, well, it's just like why not just DJ? That's exactly right. right. <laughs> that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> no, that's super cool. And yeah. then you went out on your own. Um, and I've just I'm just super curious because I think the dream for a lot of aspiring DJs and producers is the opportunity to tour other countries and to get paid to travel around and play mm -hmm. not only 
DJ gigs, but one step up playing your own music at DJ gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, talk a little bit about that. I'd love well, to hear what that sounded like. So, like, when, um, so in 2006, I quit my day job. Because Which was what by taco I, time still? No, <laughs> no. I was I was working um, as a front desk admin at a company called Peak Systems. Okay, which was located in the basement, uh, third basement floor of the uh, Quest Tower, which is now I don't know what it is. It's Nordstrom, I think, downtown. Right. And um, uh, leading up to that, I had I had already gotten a few advertising uh, gigs. Like I did a few T-Mobile commercials and I did, you know, some ad and they brought me a lot of money. Um, I mean, what I thought was a lot of money for a project, you know? Right. And then um, they, uh, I was like, well, you know, at a certain point, like they, there was one, I did a, I did a game for um, Screen Life and it was like the American Idol board game. And I was able to go on leave from work for a month to like produce this game. And they were totally cool with it. And I mean, but but like the money from this game was like so good that I was like, what am I doing in with this job? It right. was like, that was the turning point. Cause like, well, the music, the money I'm making from my music is like on par with what I'm making with my day job. Like why I could probably leave this day job. Right. Yep. And so Christina talked me into it. Oh, she did. She did. Yeah. What? She was like, Support you need to do this. One yeah. Point on her pros I, list. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. She, she totally talked me into it. And I was like, really like, I hated my job. I was yeah. like, I was, I was unhappy with, uh, with like my boss and everything. I was just not into it. And, um, so, um, yeah, she was like, you know, fuck that like you were you can do this and so i did i took the leap and um and it was really like you know yeah it was it was it was pretty hard but um i as part of the many things that i had to do to like try to make ends meet right i was getting ad gigs here and there you know nordstrom and various things do you have representation or were you going out on your own i was on my own yeah just like reaching out to people everyone that i knew you were hustling i was hustling yeah Yeah. and it was also there was a you know then i like there was a period where like everybody was like losing their job kind of around um 2008 eight yeah where the yeah the the bubble burst a little bit yeah that's right and that actually like uh also spilled over into music supervisor territory so those people who were hiring me for those those like ad gigs um were losing their jobs and like none no work was coming in Um. and i was like fuck what am i gonna do and so i um and and i was very very timid about releasing music that wasn't jacob london i hadn't done it before and um i felt like like in a way like i don't know i just it didn't feel right like maybe in a, like a betrayal kind of thing like brit, brit and i had this pact right we were right. supposed to do this together but i i had to and i um so i made some of my own music and sent it off to um free range who i had been like sending him them jacob london stuff for years and they're yeah. like no nah, not really for us and i sent them a release and they're like you know what? I think we're going to do this. And yeah, that was, that was the start of, that was kind of the start of the peasant. That's why. Got it. Yeah. That's when it, when it all kind of began, it was became out of like, out of desperation. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was a little, really desperate. I was like, shit. Like, you know, and um, I made, I, I, I started just like making a bunch of my own stuff because nothing was coming in. And they were just loving all the stuff that I was doing. And um, you like found a stride doing the solo stuff. And the whole reason for quitting your job was to do more of the ad work, but that dried up, right? And it really dried up, like yeah. big time. Wow. And and then so I, I was like, well, this this is kind of working, you know. Like I was getting, so, I mean, back then you got an advance, and wow. there was royalties coming in. Yeah. And um, and then after I don't know, like three, I would say like the after the second release on Free Range, then Ohm started knocking on my door. And I started like work, like doing a little bit of stuff for Ohm, and then Free Range and Ohm, both of them, like just you know, Ohm signed me up for like this this whole big deal of doing like you know five originals and five remixes for them, and then Free Range had gave me a full album deal, and it just kind of came, it started snowballing, and then and then I got an agent. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, then I got an agent, and she was like, she used to be like DJ Sneak's agent, you know. Okay. She was like, she's a very good agent, you know. She's currently Derek Carter's agent. So did she? And, did the agent reach out to you? And um, no, I reached out to her. I've been, I've been like, you know, I, I've been sending her flowers. I've been like, you know, just please. You're pick greasing me up, the skids, you know. And yeah. uh, at at one point, it 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 worked out, and she was oh, like, yeah. "Yeah, I, you know, I think this is like I got all this stuff coming out. Oh, I got all these things coming out. I've done a whole bunch of remixes that are about to hit. Like, let's do this." And it just like she had me constantly touring, like constantly. Wow. Um, my status with United got bumped up into like I had status on the airplanes, you know what I mean? Like I was like const, it was, yeah. And she was looking out like she was really, she's fantastic. She's a fantastic human. Wow. Currently a fantastic human. She's she still your agent in <laughs> no. some capacity. Okay. No, no, I, 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 I ended up moving on. Um, it. yeah, it was like, I, uh, after a, a few, a couple years, um, there was another agent because I really wanted to tour in Europe and she does North America pretty much exclusively. And, um, I had an opportunity to work with a, a European agent, but a European agent dude said that if I wanted to work with him, it had to be exclusive, exclusive worldwide. And so that means if I'm going to play in Portland, they have to book through this guy in the UK. Okay. And so I just kind of leap of faith, did it. And he had me touring all over Europe and it was awesome. Um, but also learning, it was like pretty, pretty stressful at the same time. Yeah. You know? And were you, were you by yourself when you're touring? Were you, cause you were married right at the time? And yeah, no, I yeah, married and, um, I was just touring by myself yeah. and, you know, trying, trying my best to support at home. You know, we have, we have, a, we had a son, yeah. we have a son and Christina was just kind of like, you know, on her own and she was going through a lot with me being gone and so it just made it just added to the stress you know and like I, here i am touring all over europe and it on paper looks like a vacation for sure but i'm like pinching pennies because i need to like bring that money home yeah. you know and in some cases like you know wire you know wiring it back home as quickly as possible so that we can cover things you know like it was just very very tense even though like you know i remember like 
coming back to London from Ibiza and then running over to the the store so that I can like wire money home. It's wired all home and then just like kick it inside the house and not do anything because I didn't have any money. Right. You know, <laughs> and I imagine a bit lonely too, right? I know, I know they mm-hmm. try to take care of DJs that come into town, yeah. and dinners and yeah. whatever, but, but like, was there some element of loneliness too? Just doing this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes a little a little bit but i was also really like focused on you know at the time when at that time i was only doing live sets i did not dj for the first okay. several years of been doing pesner that I, I thanks for pointing that out yeah. i was wondering about that so you were so, doing live performance okay. yeah it was all live sets and so i would um you know and i was obsessed about getting it right you know yeah. just doing it just just so so i would go back you know anytime i had extra time i would be back at the hotel either making a new track or updating something for the live set just constantly like working it on it you know what i mean what did that live set look like like what was the actual setup it was pretty simple i had two behringer bcf 2000 controllers and then um at first that's all it was okay two like mixer looking things yep and then um and then my laptop and then um i got a launch pad that kind of helped a little bit and then I got it, um, you know, um, what is it? The um, the Native Instruments machine. Yeah. And the machine was a nice addition to yeah. all of it because I was, then I was kind of able to create stuff on stage. Whereas prior to that, I was like, you know, just kind of dabbling in loops and, and launching you know, different. Yeah. And, and if Sunshine Jones were here, we'd be like, that's not live. No, (laughs) (laughs) totally right. Yeah, I mean, like nobody gave a shit back then. But I think at this point, like you couldn't fly doing just that. Oh, you think? I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be fair. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's fine. But like back then, when live was relatively new, doing laptop sets and and stuff, like you know, um, yeah, just there was a novelty and controllers. Well, I mean, you hear the debates today, like DJing, you know, with sync and with quantize and with all these. Tips and tricks we have. Like, there's there's these... Deb- I just... I can't even deal with it. It's like, a stupid argument, to totally. be honest. Like, Dev- uh, do you know Devlin? Uh, Devlin I know. He, I, he, made, he made this really great post and was talking about sync buttons. And I was like, well, you know, um, you're already cheating if there's a BPM readout. Right. You just... That's mm-hmm. just... You look at the two machines, <laughs> right. make them the same BPM. They're right. synced. Done. Right? right. Like, so the button doesn't really... It doesn't matter. No. No. The no. button will save you a second and a half maybe you know if you if well you, you know you know the trick right if you don't want to be caught using just sing- bing bing right okay yes yes that's, yeah that's the trick <laughs> <laughs> totally right beep beep like yep. you could know you could do it so fast no one would ever know it's exactly i, I know you know you can act like you're getting your drink and just hit it and then come yeah. back and it's, it's yeah yeah totally you know, so you. like yeah. why stop complaining they don't yeah exactly yeah it's it's i mean it's whatever we could talk for like two hours on this whole thing because (laughs) it's it's good and it's bad i think it's on the on the on the upside it's it's given this opportunity of accessibility and really hyper accelerated the ability to go from buying a piece of gear or some music to playing in front of a crowd and sounding decent Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but it's also there's a there's a dark side to that because then you get a lot of noise in the business and you know that's one thing we were talking about before we got on the mic just like there's enough sort of the the things that I think and and I'll ask you I'll put this in the form of a question okay do you find 
that when people book Pesner, are they looking for something different today than maybe they were looking for in the past, you know, from a DJ performance from you? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I think that because my body of work is really diverse now. Yeah. I think that back then, I mean, when I first doing started doing the Pesner thing, I think my whole shtick was like, well, you, all you guys are doing minimal techno and, and minimal is really popular. Right. And, and I'm over here take, taking house beats, but doing this really hypnotic house. Yep. Right. And um, my my sound has, you know, totally evolved to just do whatever I want. Yeah. And so some sometimes it is that sometimes it's still that and sometimes it's very is very much like acid house or techno yeah. or sometimes you know it's like i don't care anymore and um so uh, and my sets show my my like how diverse i of music i'm really into and so um like maybe if somebody saw me play somewhere and it, it went really well maybe that's they're just they're just vibing on it and they want to have me come back or right or, or what have you um but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, no, and, and I think that was a very ambiguous question. Yeah, but I, I think sometimes where where I do, th- I, I think sort of worst case scenario that I hear and see a lot when I'm following folks on social media is this person gets booked because they have this social following. They look a certain way. You, they know a certain person. Yeah, you know? and that that to me does seem like. I mean, that's probably always been in existence, but more now than ever. For sure. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, you know, I think we were talking a little bit before. I was like, you know, there's there, there's definitely some, there's a bit of ageism. And I think as there always has been yeah. in this industry, in any part of any entertainment business, people just get excited about the kids totally. who are cracking it out, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, look at them. They're so cute. Or, wow, they're so young. How are they even doing music? You know, and then... You get someone, you know, like it's hard for someone who would say be in like their late forties or in yeah. their fifties, just immediately just coming out with stuff. Even though like it's totally possible for someone to do it given their length of knowledge and you know and all that, but it's just not. Yeah, we don't see it as often, right? You don't see it as you often. Know. You see it with like the old school that there's such a deep, heavy legacy with some of these like old mm-hmm. school um, DJs and producers, but you don't necessarily see like the new fifty year old dude coming hot on but, hot not hot not in the scene. Right? Wouldn't wouldn't that be so cool? It'd be fucking like, awesome if if it, like if it, like at some point just switched there and it was like, how cool! He's so old. How's totally. he even doing this? <laughs> totally it just comes in hot over the tree line and just yeah. pushes the kids out of the what way. is that guy like 90 he's wearing the white he, new balance from barely, costco yeah. he's just fucking killing it with his fanny pack and his pacemaker just, just out of nowhere like what the hell this guy <laughs> maybe it will i don't know it's it'd be an amazing tr- that'd be amazing transformation unfortunately i don't i don't i'm not optimistic dave on no. unfortunately mm, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so i think i got a pretty good feel for you know where you came from i mean there's so much to talk about because you have what like 30 years of oh, it's, making yeah, it's, music. It's, it's it's totally we'd have to do a series of like five to even i feel like scratch the surface but i know in like 2015 then you you 
started a new thing which was hunt and gather right yeah 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 um what was the inspiration and the thought behind that <laughs> well i had i had a label account actually with john lemon um you know he was he was running yeah. he was running the label for beatport for a long time right and um he uh you know year a couple years before that i set up an account with beatport to like um release some of my because I was releasing a lot of music at the time and I wanted to, um, to like also have my own label to do other things. Right. You know, like, you know, whatever I can't put out of me, I'll put it on my own label or whatever. I, I set up the account and, um, and I think, I think that the intention at the time was also to like, be all of the artists. Like I would be all of the artists on the label under various names Got you it. know, I would create this sort of like, oh, where did Dave find all these artists that sound like Pesner? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And kind of create this this culture of music that sounds like the music I make. That was like my vision, you know. Right. It never happened. I just didn't do anything with it. And then, um, and then, around 2015, um, m- my buddy Mark Lippert, who lives just blocks away from you here. Um, he moves into town with uh, with with uh, his wife, uh, now wife Amy, and um, like we're like we we totally headed off, and we're talking about like doing, you know, parties together and stuff. And um, one night I'm at Monkey Loft, and I'm like asking the owner there, like I was like, how much, how much money do like these promoters like gross at the door? Like how much money is coming in? He gives me this number. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. What? And (laughs) like, and they're paying these DJs how much? And I was like, Oh my God. I was, I got all in my high horse about it. I was like, this is not why I can't believe it. He's like, well, do you want to do a party here? I was like, sure for okay. that kind of money yeah yeah why not yeah. He's, so he gives me like a 12-hour party because back then all summer long it was a 12-hour parties okay and um and you know I, I talked to mark about it and like we're like yeah let's do this let's like make this thing together and uh and and then it hit me that it was like well i have this label account and i haven't done anything with it and maybe what i can do is make this a label launch you know uh, there's I a see. good hook right yeah. and so I put together music. I got it mastered. Mark's friend uh, helped help us helped us come up with a la- um, a um, you know a logo. Yep. You know, I which put is a- great by the way. The logo's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Thank, I mean, this was this is the old logo. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, we it actually changed it at, at one point. And got the it. problem was that the logo couldn't be scaled down, and so ah, I, I had, to, had to figure. Anyway, um, we put together this twelve-hour party, booked like all like all some of my favorite like local DJ friends. And for me, it was like, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to be the most awesome party. And like everything from the door is just going to go to all the DJs. And so, um, I like, and it was like 12 hours worth of, and we, we did, we did that. Like I paid everybody as much as I could, like off of the whole thing. It was like everybody, you know, that was just what I wanted to do. I just wanted to make like, just, show everybody that like this could happen like you don't have to play for like 75 dollars or whatever you know whatever people were paying people back then you i know. mean it's the same that they're yeah. paying people now it seems like it's just yeah it's yeah it's like you you know we can all do better if we just say what it's like what we want yeah you know and um so but 
more so uh, at the end of the day, I had this label and um, I had to start putting music, music out to make it a thing. I mean, like resident advisor wrote about it. Like, okay. uh, there was a thing, right? And uh, then um, I, uh, for a while, I was just doing the thing where I just make these pseudonyms <laughs> and, um, and release under these various names. And it was fun because I had a, I had my my buddy Matt Corwin, who is a fantastic writer, uh, write up the one sheets, and he would yep. create the uh, story behind each of these monikers, and they were always really bonkers, and they were totally hilarious. Yeah, and I would send this uh, the stuff off to the PR. Um, I had a PR company that I like I worked with, and they you know I think that the PR helped like get these songs like you know noticed by you know radio stations in london and and what have you we had um nimone who uh does a show on radio six over in london literally read the entire <laughs> the entire press sheet from beginning to end wow because it was so like what is the story i've read some stuff that matt used to write like he's a fantastic oh, he's, writer he's like, a great writer yeah yeah. yeah yeah so he was he does most of our uh one sheets even now like um you know, he he writes the the native language ones, um, and um, and he yeah he's he's fantastic. He's got like this whole crazy story about the native language, which I I don't I don't think I have time to really delve into. But it's, it's well, you're gonna come back, so we can okay. we'll dig into that some more. <laughs> no, no, that's that's very cool. So so hunt and gather. Yeah. I, I guess I get the concept and now and you guys are still active or we're are, still active yeah uh, is there a team or is the it team now is after a couple of years of doing that um, I brought in uh, Carlos yep uh, Mendoza and Michael Manahan yep and at the time I was uh, you know like um, there there was I was doing some nights at the rebar and you know uh, trying you know trying out some things and yep. and then these guys were helping me out with the stuff and we just sort of decided to, I, I wanted to partner up and team up and it's been very instrumental. I mean, Carlos has really helped pull this label into a thing that has a system yeah. and a process that I did not have before. Oh, it was cool. very willingly before Carlos came in. And now I, I really do feel like we, now we have um, also Randy Deshays as a, as a new member of our team and he's uh he's actually from boston okay um and he's thrown like tons of parties back in boston for ages kind of like you know like brian Lyons has been doing the stuff here he right. was doing stuff over there and now he's here in seattle and he's with Very us cool. and yeah it's great to have him on board with us too. funny side note i went to high school with Car carlos for one or two years at Lake what? Washington. Yeah. We Crazy. Go we go back to high school. No yeah, yeah. way. Yeah. Have you had him on the show? No. You should have him on the show. I would love to have him it's on the show. great conversation. You hear that, Carlos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually reached out to him before this thing was mm -hmm. even a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, I always get ahead of myself, right? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do this thing and I would love to have you on the show and... I think he kind of he didn't he was he was very nice, but I think his his sort of thought around it was like I'll wait to see what this thing is before I commit to doing yeah, this thing. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's good. It's good to have someone cautious on. Yeah, on no, team. he's a he's a smart guy. He's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally yes. so, yeah. good guy though. Yeah, it's yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we go way back. So, hunt gather still ac active, and then you, and I don't. Did you? 
now you actually work for the can can which is mm -hmm. something entirely yeah it so feels a little left field but may not be as left field it's it's as pretty I think. yeah it's pretty left field for i mean i mean for my my path right like, yeah um in around 20 2015 same time around the same time i started the label um i did a um you know i was doing all kinds of things. I mean, when you do music, you just have to do whatever comes your way. Right, like, you can't just just be a DJ, right? You know, you you, you I, I do the DJ thing. I, I run the label. I was doing weddings with oh, Jason really? Tokita. Okay, and um, that was like my bread and butter for a little bit. It was like because it was just I couldn't keep the. It was too um, volatile with the DJ thing. Yep, and then. Uh, my neighbor, who uh, his name is Eric Paget, he's a fantastic uh, trumpet player. I live in a building of artists, and okay. like, um, my neighbor uh, was told me that he's in this band for this uh, artist called Vince Mira, who's a country western artist um, who does sort of uh, sort of eclectic left left field country. I don't know. I, I couldn't. It's hard to describe what. Sure what I came into when I heard Vince's music it was badass. It's like really, really good. And, um, but, uh, the, the guy who was managing, them uh, needed, they, they all needed someone to help them make a backing track that they can, you know, jump through and, you know, be, be a lot more dynamic than just a backing track. You know, they wanted to sync it up, be able to sync it up to MIDI right. for drum machines and all that stuff. And so, I created an entire system for them uh, to do it in live, told them the equipment to buy, set up the equipment for them. I went to all their rehearsals and um, uh, the, that was just like a couple months of just showing up and they paid me, you know, hourly to just be there to do this for them. Right. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and the, the guy who uh, was the manager, he also, owned the fred wildlife refuge so i was down at okay. the fred wildlife refuge and you guys have done parties there right at, yeah, yeah yeah well this sort of leads to that right oh, so it. um at when we're finally done with that they're up and running and the guy who's their manager his name is chris pink he's like you know i also own the can can and you know we have all this need for all this like music stuff and you know i really like working with you would you be interested in helping us like you know just edit some tunes for some of our shows like this is like Elvis Presley and Beach Boys tunes, you know, right. for our next show. I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I, uh, and they had a little studio there at the Fred. So I was coming in there and, you know, just contracting with them, just making some edits and stuff for that show. And then the show went really well. And he's like, you know what? Like this next, would you be interested in doing another one? This next one, I want to do more original music. And so they we did this like romeo and juliet thing and like wrote all these original tunes and he had me in there like eight hours a day for you know a, a couple months just constant work and i was like shit this is this is great like Holy i don't have shit. to like i don't have to tour i don't have to hustle i could just come into work and like do this contract you're still doing music too yeah, i'm doing yeah and like they, they're into like banging music you know so right. i'm using all my like house music muscles to like make these crazy jams so for them right and then um and then we moved on to the next show and the next show and the next show and like you know by by the time pandemic rolled around i had done like i don't know like five uh, six to eight shows for them and i was constantly working for them except for like in the middle times there was like 
you know, holiday show, they had it all packed up. So right. when, when things slowed down, I was just, you know, hourly, but they let me use their studio. So I would just keep coming back and working in the studio and whatever they need. Right. Mm. But then pandemic hit no work. Um, but during that time, no work because they weren't doing any live shows and yeah, they weren't doing anything their- and all my DJ gigs were gone. And, so yeah and then um but in that time they were relocating to a new space which they got for pandemic prices and um they they totally set up the new can 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 in the new space and then when everything reopened um they hired me on the books and so now i work with them full-time i got uh i got a studio i'm on it's like salary proper job benefits everything that you would need from a job and then also like when things are like super duper slow or there's nothing really happening you know i i I still have my time to like make house music and do my other dj stuff once in a while but dj stuff is not my main focus right now like my main focus is the stuff I'm doing with the can can we've really leveled it up. Right. Like sure. I'm, I'm doing, um, where I'm, I'm, I'm composing some like orchestral stuff for them now. Oh, and like, we're using like these like film scoring, like sound library tools that sound like actual orchestra orchestras. And, and I'm learning, I'm like learning more about music theory and pianos and, so and I'm fun. hearing the music in my brain more too. I'm like hearing these like, classical waltzes and stuff and i'm starting to like make them you know and uh i'm just like blown away by how this is all sort of (laughs) transpiring from you know yeah 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 i'm like i and and i we've our we've we've like and it's like you know they're they're like we have this cole porter song and we'd like to have an instrumental version of but if there's of course like there's no you know good instrumental version of leg girls so you have to re- from Broadway. And-, and so I have to like reverse engineer Cole Porter stuff. Wow. And in the process, I'm like learning about big band and like what, what these, how to like combine VSTs to like create horns that convincing convincingly sound like big band stuff. And also maybe like use a little sample here and there to like back it up and stuff. And like, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it's, it's like, I'm making, you know, Broadway show tunes sounding stuff with like big 808 kicks and, so, you know, synth sounds on so top of cool. it. And yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And then that's what I, I, that's what I said. Maybe it wasn't as left field as it seems. And yes, it seems left field, but it also seems everything you've done up to that point has led to this point. That's Dude, a fucking great fit for one, you. 100%. Like, you know, um, you know, I, I need to know how to make music that sounds like techno music because the, it needs to rattle those subwoofers yeah. in there. I need to know how to like bootleg tunes, right? right? Which yeah. I've done a ton of. Yep. And so I'm taking the original version of these tunes and I'm syncing it up with like my VSTs and making these crazy beats to go with them. But also I need to be able to like write in my own instrumentation to make turn this like thing into something that feels original then then of course i'm like you know working with with the choreography and the music director to like edit it down just so you know and that's something that came from like all the ad stuff that i've done in the past you know it's like it just works perfectly for the can can you know yeah do you do you feel like um 
I guess the, the big question I'd have for you, if you were, you look at this history that we kind of went through that leads you up to today with the job that you have now and, and the way you're expressing your, your creativity now, would you have done something different if you would have known? Like, I can't imagine you would map this out and thought, I'm going to land it making show tunes for Cabaret. God, if I knew that, I would have, like, I would have stayed, like, focusing on my piano and, mm. like, my, like, just, like, I maybe I would have, like, traded with some of my art classes for band. Got it. You know, I probably would have done something like that. Like, I... I do feel like my my biggest hurdle right now is um, like knowing my scales on the piano, right? Um, and and understanding how they work together because I am going by ear on everything, and I can rep, I can I can hear hear chords in my head and hear how they're supposed to flow, and I can I can draw them out, and I know how to make them happen. But it's a very long, drawn out, grueling process. Whereas if I was a music theory major sure i'd be like doo, 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 doo. but you know i also see a lot of music theory major people struggle through creating something that's really avant-garde and left field because their brain is so wrapped around what music theory yep. says music is supposed to say, sound like yep so and you know i'm i'm all backwards approach i'm all reverse engineer you that's know what so i mean cool. so that's so cool <laughs> so would you i'm to me, it sounds like the 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 Pesner the Pesner, you know, the way you've traversed what is now, you know, from from the past to the current. And I'd love to understand, like, future wise. Now that you know what you know and you're doing what you're doing, and just a side note, I could imagine maybe like with some house music producers or DJs or electronic music music producers, there might be some ego sort of getting in the way of like, no, I'm not gonna do show tunes that's not what my thing is right mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. but i don't sense any of that with you no it seems like you love it actually i love it i <laughs> yeah, love it and so crazy. Um, i think the hardest thing was you know for me when the job was offered um was the was the knowing because i know how this industry works and if you stop hustling for three four months yep. you're done you're yep. done and it's going to take a it's going to be a long road of like trying to convince the industry why you're coming back there's a you short know? memory yeah it's very it's very short yeah. and you're like well that's cool Pesner's coming back he was cool for a while you know yep. that's how i see it and it's probably that might not be the case i'm sure. very i have a weird ego about it but um that's it, it it you do wash up fast and i that's how i that's what i experienced was you know in the whole time that i was doing this whole music dj music for a living thing was that like the money came from DJing, but the DJ gigs don't, the DJ gigs come from releasing music and the releasing music comes from the time you spend creating the music. So you can, you can imagine there's like this long period from the time that you sit down to make a tune to the time that the tune comes out to the time that the promoters realize that, you know, like get, get into it and they're like, oh wow, there was a buzz about that. You know, you have to like release multiple. It doesn't take one tune to to, to make a buzz. You have to have multiple tunes right. piling up together to make a buzz. You have to have multiple things up in the charts, and you know that's where the buzz comes from. Right. And it that that creating that flow of your name constantly coming up in the charts, it takes a real long time to keep that in circulation. Right? Yeah. 
you know, and, and who knows if it ever, if it will ever happen for you, Sure, you know, um, but that's your name in circulation constantly does lead to these DJ gigs that help pay the bills. Yeah. You know, and I, I was really, I was like, I don't want like, is my agent's going to drop me? <laughs> you know And it's mean? a piece of your identity yeah, and that's, right. yeah, I get yeah. it. And, and, but, um, you know, I, I, well, for the, for the, for the can can though, like it didn't take me too long. I mean, they, they got me set up in this really dope, you know, office yeah. in, in Pike place market. And I've got like, you know, they, they are very sensitive to my other creative endeavors That's so and cool. they, they're totally cool with me you know, exploring them in the studio and they want me to learn and, and be and grow as an artist because I bring that back to them. And yeah, it sounds so like I, I've never had a more supportive like work situation. Right. And you're still crushing DJ sets. I mean, I've seen you like <laughs> twice in two months, brought my wife out. She loved it. Like, yeah, just recently, people, yeah. people all of a sudden like this, it, there was a long period of the last like year and a half where it was just nothing came in. And I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm 100% happy just coming to work, making this stuff and then going home. I'm getting creative. I'm creatively fulfilled. And, um, that was and, what I was going to ask. And so, my family is yeah. like being supported and uh, like all that stuff, all the, all of my needs are being met. Right. So Beautiful. how can I complain? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess, I guess the last question I have for you, and then I want to cut you loose on the decks because now I'm super curious on what you're, what you're going to do tonight. Cause you have a couple. So, so am I, I, I love it. <laughs> is the, is there a future vision for you? Like, whether it's you know going down this route with the can can production dj and like is it's or are you living it or are you kind of flying it as you're building it right now i think i think at the moment i'm i'm kind of just flying it i i, I feel like i've you know I, when i was a, when i was a kid I, I set out to achieve music for a living right that was like i a, a huge hurdle for i think any musician right it's not sure. it's not an easy thing to achieve i've achieved it and and i'm in i'm like i've not only achieved it, i'm living a like you know a, a living where like i feel settled and comfortable and i can pay my bills and in a worst case scenarios i can hold down the fort for my family for sure you know and that's that's you know what could anybody ever ask for but you know for the future i mean I, I would love to be able to like work on a team that does bigger, that does bigger things later on down the road. You know, I would, I, I certainly would love to work on, you know, a music, a, a music composition team that's doing, you know, scores or, yep. um, you know, work on more ad advertising things, you know, like have more of that stuff come in. Cause I really enjoy the sort of sound design music approach that comes with like doing, you know, promos and ads. For sure, you know. Yeah, but, wow. Um, yeah, games. I I've always wanted to do to do games. I know that's a tough tough uh, industry to get into. I I got my certification with Wise like back before the pandemic because I thought that like I was going to try to move into composing for games or maybe even doing music editing or got it. you know implementation. Maybe implementing impl- implementers or another on another plane, but. You know, I would. I wanted to create content for games, but that industry is swamped. It's is it? really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also have to love playing video games, which I don't. Me I don't either. like playing video games. I just like the idea of interactive music. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, 
but uh, yeah i got i got super i had a lot of fun with wise i you know yeah like i said i think um with your amount of history and longevity and this like continued relevance well you're still a what what i learned tonight is because i don't i you know, we've talked, we've mm-hmm, ran into mm-hmm. each other, but I've never really gotten to sit down and talk with you, which is why I love doing this mm-hmm. just for my own selfish, like self-interest. <laughs> but you just have this ability, this egoless zigzag, like, and, and it's not even about making the best of it. It's like turning, finding the best, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you, you've put yourself in a very cool position where you're, like you said, you're still being, you're meeting your creative needs and you also your needs are met right yeah my life needs like all of that i'm like i'm I'm in a i'm in a pretty sweet spot like i don't want to i don't really don't want to mess that up (laughs) i don't want to fuck with it why why shake the boat like i'm I'm on it this is a good boat like right no that's great well i really like i said there's we have hours of potential conversation so i really uh-huh. do appreciate you coming in and spending time with us yeah yeah super you you have a couple of super fans i'm not going to tell you who they are in this room but um <laughs> no we all we all like we've all come out specifically to watch you play so oh, it, that's like, that's awesome no but it's also like with you there's like a, a question sometimes like mm-hmm. what's he gonna what's he gonna deliver tonight you even mentioned it like you don't really know sometimes you know you yeah, yeah yeah i don't i just i um i don't sometimes i i'll just put together like a pool of music that i'm just gonna kind of run through yeah. or like try to you know piece together things but um you know it it just sort of kind of goes as it yeah I, I, I honestly don't know. I love it. Well, let's yeah. get you. Let's get okay. you behind the desk. Yeah, let's play. And see what happens, okay. man. Thank you so much. No, for thank coming you in. for having me. This is awesome. I, I really enjoyed. Lovely place. Thank and you. Everything. Yeah, it's good chat. All right. Yeah. yeah. Take care. Cool. Awesome. All right. Seattle House Mafia. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Seattle House Mafia's industry interviews. If you want to watch the full video of this interview, including an exclusive mix from our guest, head over to seattlehousemafia.com forward slash YouTube. And before you go, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. For all things Seattle House Mafia, including our upcoming shows, latest mixes, gear reviews, and more, you can visit seattlehousemafia.com.